بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما پاد الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا فورتھ آف جنوری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ الحمد للہ وی موڈ آن ٹو دا سکسٹینتھ Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I've started the subsection in which we're taking a glimpse into our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam's love for the august household of his noble cousin. So in a report, so this is recorded In Sayyid Bukhari, number 3,578, Sayyid Muslim, number 5,316, Riyadh Salihin, number 521, Al-Lu'lu Wal-Marjan, number 1,323, Ahmad in his Musnad, Abu Ya'la Al-Bidayah, 9-105, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 139-140 of the New English Translation. So this is the reference for the, the report, but within it, there's other reports, which I'll mention the references. So... Like I mentioned yesterday, Rasulullah was turning from his back to his stomach due to severe hunger. And uh, Abu Talha had gone back to his wife, Umm Sulaim, and mentioned this to, the prof, uh, to, his, to his wife. So Hazrat Anas, he relates, radiyallahu. Abu Talha, radiyallahu, said to Umm Sulaim, I noticed some weakness in Rasulullah's voice, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I feel this is due to hunger. Do you have any food? So note how they would detect anything on the Prophet because I notice weakness due to his voice. So Umm Sulaim said, yes. Thus she brought out barley loaves, took off her head covering in a part of which she wrapped those loaves and then put them beneath my mantle and covered me with a part of it. So she had some bread and she covered the bread and she also gave a bit of the covering to her son Anas. In another report it mentions she also had some dry dates, referred to Riyadh Salihin, number 521. So it was bread and dry dates. She then sent me to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I said forth, And I found him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sitting in the masjid in the company of some people. I stood near them and he asked me, Arsala laka Abu Talha. Has Abu Talha sent you? I said, yes. Upon which he said to those who were with him, Kumu, arise. He thus said forth and so did I ahead of them. Until I came to Abu Talha and informed him. So, stopping the report. So, the food was for the Prophet ﷺ. But when the Prophet ﷺ asked Anas, has Abu Talha sent you? He goes, yes. He told the people to follow him. So, Anas now had a problem. He went back to Abu Talha and informed him. Abu Talha thereupon said anxiously, O Umm Sulaim, radiyallahu anhu, Here comes Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam along with the people and we do not have enough food to feed them all. Meaning we wasn't expecting this. 
she replied allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger know better meaning surely the prophet knows this and we shouldn't think anything untoward of why he's brought these people abu talha radiyallahu then went out to receive him until he met rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he came forward along with him until they both came in whilst the other companions waited outside so some of the reports so abu talha went out and he told the prophet to come forward with him and the other men remained outside in another report he adds a detail in sahih muslim number 5320 abu talha radiyallahu stood at the door until the prophet arrived and he said ya rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam it is only a small amount he sallallahu alaihi wasallam responded halumma fa inna allah sayaj'alu fihi albaraka bring it for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless it so this detail is added so abu talha he said to the prophet he was worried about the food not being enough and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said don't worry allah taala will bless it rasulullah dar upon said sallallahu alaihi wasallam ma indaki ya umm salim o umm sulaim radiyallahu bring forth what you have with you do she brought the bread he sallallahu alaihi wasallam dar upon commanded that the bread be broken up into small pieces and after umm sulaim had squeezed clarified butter out of a butter container and made it just like soup he sallallahu alaihi wasallam there upon recited over it what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wished him to recite so what have has been done to the food so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he got the bread he broke it into pieces and he squeezed um uh, um sulaim gave him some butter from a butter container and he squeezed it and it was kind of a soup and then he recited over it upon which he sallallahu alaihi wasallam said ithan li'ashada now allow 10 guests to enter so the people are waiting outside and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said mention 10 allow 10 to enter they entered and they ate until they had their fill and then left <laughs> so it doesn't give you any details they just came so bit of bread a bit of butter and they were eating and the report goes they ate to their fill and they left the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there upon said idhan li ashara allow another ten they were ushered in and they also ate to their fill upon which they also left so now 20 people have entered ate to their fill they've left he sallallahu alaihi wasallam again said idhan li ashara allow 10 more until all the people ate to their fill there were indeed 70 to 80 persons at the time said anas so now what's interesting here the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam why did he allow only 10 to enter and i think the wisdom here was obviously apart from the maybe the dwelling wasn't accommodating for such a large number but i think the other wisdom is it was a miracle It was a continuous miracle. So the first ten saw the miracle; they went out. The second ten saw the miracle; they went out, and it was a continuous miracle. So people could see this. In another report, it mentions there were approximately one hundred men. 
This is in Tabarani. Abu Ya'la al-Hirtami in Majma' al-Zawaid, volume 8, page 306, states Sahih. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 140 of the New English Translation. So is there a contradiction? Was there 80 or 100? So the report clearly mentions approximately 100, meaning they don't know the exact number. But this is how many people were with the Prophet at the time, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In another report, Anas added, radiyallahu when all had eaten, the remaining food was collected. It was as much as there was at the beginning. <laughs> this is in Sayyid Muslim, number 5317, Riyadh number 521. So look how amazing. What were they eating? If the food has remained as it was, that, so what exactly had been, you know, had the companions ate? And the response is, was the blessings. In another report, Anas added, Radiyallahu, after the 80 people had ate, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the family of that house finally ate. And there was still a quantity left over. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 5319, Riyadh Salihin, number 521. So what's interesting, the Prophet didn't eat. So the whole food was for the Prophet. So what's amazing is he was really hungry. He wasn't the case that you know he was just doing it because they were suffering, he wasn't. He hadn't ate for days on end. He made them eat. Now what's interesting, he wasn't the host. Usually the host, you know, the report indicates that he should be the last to eat. But this shows his connection to Anas's house. That he considered himself to be part of their family. And when they finally ate, there was still food left. Imagine. In another report, Anas added, and what was left over, they sent to their neighbors. This is in Sayyid Muslim, number 5321. So <laughs> the food just went on and on. 100 or so companions ate, then the blessed family ate, then it was given to the neighbors. I don't ask me what happened after that. <laughs> you know, the obvious thing is, did they give it to somebody? <coughs> Allah, Allah knows best. Imam we commented here, Rahmatullah this shows it is desirable that hosts should take the meal after the guests have taken it, I unless they insist. This is uh, a mustahab act. The, the host he should let the guests eat first and then he should partake afterwards unless, of course, they want him to eat. Mm -hmm. And this is proven from this report, said Imam Nawbi Rahmatullahi. And like I mentioned, note that Anas radiallahu addressed Abu Talha as Ya Abata, O my father, although he was his stepfather, which is acceptable. Because when you get children whose father passes and their mother marries again, people then have a strange relationship. Can I call him my father? Shall I call him uncle? And the answer is, you can call him father. Abu Talha wasn't the father of Anas. And yet, the Prophet didn't correct that. Meaning that there's no harm. Because obviously, he knows he's not the biological father. And the son knows he's not the real father. But it's out of respect. <coughs> in another report, it mentions. So this is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari, number 3578. Sayyid Muslim, number 2040. Anas, he relates, radiyallahu, Um Sulaim, radiyallahu, had a sheep, and she gathered from it some, i.e. ghee, in an okka, i.e. a pot used to curry some. Though she filled the okka and sent it with Rabia, radiyallahu, saying, 
O Rabi'ah, Radiyallah, give this ukkah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for he can use it as soup. So this is another report, again recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. So what's happened is, Um Sulaim radiyallahu she basically got some kind of a kuri, she filled it and she said to her servant, Rabi'ah radiyallahu give this to Rasulullah, he can use it as soup. Rabi'ah radiyallahu then took it along with her till she met Rasulullah and said, sallallahu alayhi wa Ya Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa this is an ukka of ghee that Um Sulaim has sent to you, radiyallahu He, sallallahu alayhi wa said, empty the ukka. So Rabi'ah emptied the ukka and then it was returned to her. Meaning now it's empty. She left and arrived when Um Sulaim was not at home. Though she hung the ukka on a peg. So the ukka was kind of a leather, you know, contained a kind of a pouch which con- they, where they would put the ghee within it. So she left it. When Um Sulaim arrived, she saw the ukka full and dripping. So she said, Oh Rabia, did I not command you to take it to Rasulullah? She replied, I have. If you don't believe me, then go and ask from him. So what's happened? Um Sulaim comes back and it's full. So she's thinking, well, why is Rabia delayed? Because why didn't you take it? I have took it. Let's go and ask. So Um Sulaim radiyallahu thereupon went with Rabia to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon arrival said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I sent Rabia with an ukka containing some for you. He responded, yes you did. She did bring it. <laughs> she thereupon asked by the one who has sent you with the truth. It is indeed still full and dripping back in my dwelling with some. The Prophet said, Ya Um Sulaim, are you surprised that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided for you just as you provided for this Prophet? Why are you finding this surprising? Eat and feed others with it. She continued, I came to the house and put in, put it in a big pot of ours, such and such, i.e. the amount from the ukka and left in it that which we used as a soup for one or two months. <laughs> so she went back and she realized this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then imagine small container, one or two months he used it for soup. And the Prophet sallallahu look what he said to Um Sulaim. And this shows her iman was at a very high level. Why are you surprised? Because you provided for Rasulullah. Don't you think Allah ta'ala will provide for you? So now, who narrated this report? Anas. So what do you notice? He's observing in those, in you know, formative years in his youth, he was observing miracles. And where were the miracles taking place? In his blessed dwelling. Imagine, who had that soup? Definitely Anas. He's thinking, Allahu Akbar, more blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And notice they ate to their fill. And the report mentions, Imam Nawwi rahmatullah he mentioned that when blessings take place, i.e. kalamats or mu'jiza in the time of the prophets, because you eat to your fill. There's no like, you know, one third, one third, one third, which people quote, quote after. 
you just go berserk right and they eat into their fill because the sahaba this is ramallah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be no harm in this food and this is why if you have that fortunate moment where a karamat has taken place you drink and you eat to your fill think about that so again these are etiquettes people think no no i only have a little bit no you don't you keep eating it and notice logically if you keep eating it you might want to say luna it's not man luna Well, how strange. Imagine you've got food in front of you and it's not running out. I can't even picture that. So let's say you've got dates. So there's 10 dates on a plate and there's five of you sitting around the plate. So every time you pick one up, there should be half of it should be going. But imagine you're eating and the dates aren't diminishing. So these are miracles. And where are these reports recorded? Bukhari and Muslim. So again, you know, why is it important to highlight that? Because some people have problems with miracles. the science will catch up science will catch up to what right you know how do you explain this is a miracle in another report um sulaim added radiyallahu i returned home and distributed the butter in a large jug and in several other containers leaving some in the bag indeed this was sufficient for us to make gravy for a month or two this is in tabarani Abu Ya'la, Abu Na'im and Izdala'i ibn Nubu'a, page 203, Al-Bidayah 6-103, Al-Haytami in Majma' al-Zawaid, volume 8, page 309, comments upon the chain of narrators, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 592 of the New English Translation. So what details added? She said, I distributed the butter in a large jug and in several other containers. So it's a small leather pouch or whatever it was. You've got a large container. It doesn't make any sense. Why have you got a large container? She's filling it up. Imagine, fills one up, fills another one up. Where is this sum coming from? And then she goes, we still had some left. And we used that little what we had left for a month or two. Allahu Akbar, what a blessed household in which miracles seem to be occurring on a daily basis. So one can only imagine how this impacted the iman of Sayyidina Anas. And don't forget, he was a teenager. This... really should not come as any surprise. Why? Because it is related in Tabarani in his Usat, number 6481 or 6-305, that Sayyidah Umm Sulaim radiyallah, she once requested Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to offer salat in her dwelling so that they could take that as a place of salat too. And not forgetting earlier the mention of his also offering the funeral prayer. for her deceased son in the same blessed residence. So now what's interesting, Rasulullah prayed in her dwelling from his own initiative. We, we, we mentioned the reports. This report mentions, she asked the Prophet as well, because Ya Rasulullah, please come and pray in our dwelling. We want to get blessings. And I also mentioned that Abdullah ibn, um, Umar ibn Abu Talha, anhuma, the young child died. And where was that funeral prayer offered? It was in the dwelling of Umm Sulaim. So that dwelling, you know, why do you find it strange? If Rasulullah is praying and praying and praying in this dwelling and treating it like one of his own dwellings, you'd expect miracles to take place. Indeed, as mentioned, our beloved Messenger would often pray in this dwelling. In Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 108, sahih to the criteria of the two sheikhs with a prestigious short chain. Bukhari in his Sahih number 1,982 and Mishkat number 2,077 relates an identical but shorter narration. Imam Ahmad, he relates from Ibn Abi Adi, 
رحمت اللہ علیہ ورلیسم حمید رحمت اللہ علیہ ورلیسم انس لائک اے مینشن بٹوین امام احمد اینڈ انس دیس ٹو نریز بوت تابی انس لیلیس رضی اللہ رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم وزٹڈ ام سلیم رضی اللہ اینڈ شی آفرڈ ہم سم ڈیگس اینڈ گی ہاؤ ایور ہی واز فاسٹنگ ہی سیڈ پٹ یور ڈیگس اینڈ گی بیک ان دیئر ریسپیکٹو کنٹینرز He then went to a corner of the dwelling and offered a two-dakat salat and we prayed with him. He thereupon supplicated for Umm Sulaim and invoked good on her and her family. So this is part of the report. So now what's interesting, the report is Sayyih in Imam Ahmad's Musnad. But the mention of fasting is not mentioned in Bukhari. So this indicates that this was the same report but the details are answered here. Now, he didn't break his fast, look how interesting. So he came to the dwelling, and when the food was presented before him, he said, put your dates and ghee back in their respective containers. So now what does that mean? Does that mean that when you fast and you're invited, you shouldn't eat? Because that's what the Prophet did here. So Sheikh Nawab Muhammad Qutbuddin Khan Dehlawi Rahmatullah Ali In his commentary of Mishkat, Mazayri-i-Haq, number 2077, he clarified, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not break his fast despite the invitation because he knew that Sayyidah Umm Sulaim radiyallahu would not be grieved at his refusal. The scholars, and he's referring to the Hanafis, the scholars mention that an invitation to eat is enough excuse for both the guest and the host to break their optional fast if either of them feel grieved at the other's rejection. However, the fast should be redeemed later. <coughs> Aye, this is wajib for the Hanafis. However, if no one is likely to mind, then the fast should not be broken. In addition, the one who fasts and is a visitor To anyone must supplicate for the host and his family, this is recommended. So this is why these incidents are taking place, because he's teaching you what to do. So why did the Prophet not break his fast? Because Umm Salim would not at all be upset. You understand? If the host gets, you know that they'll, they'll get even slightly upset, you break the fast. Then the Shaykh mentions that both the host and the guest should break the fast. So what is, where, where's the proof for this? The proof for this is another report. The hadith is in Sayyid Bukhari. And Salman al-Farsi, anhu, he was the guest of Abu Darda. So Abu Darda, anhu, was the host. And the relevant part of the report, he gave him food. And then Salman anhu, said, Aren't you going to eat? <laughs> And Abu Darda goes, I'm fasting. So the horse was fasting. Salman goes, I'm not going to eat unless you eat. So Abu Darda looked at him and then obviously he grumbled, but he broke his fast. And then the same report, he's going to start playing Tajid all night. So Salman goes, go to sleep. So Abu Darda went, right, he's okay. So then he gets up shortly after and Salman still is still awake. He goes, go to sleep. <laughs> and he goes, all right. And then the last of the night, he goes, now we'll pray. 
And then there's other things he did as well. And then Abu Darda gets really upset over this. He goes to the Prophet and then he tells the Prophet everything that Salman did. And the Prophet he said, Salman has understanding. <laughs> Meaning what he did was correct. Salman actually said at the end of the report, he said, Oh my brother, your body has got rights over you. Your wife has got rights over you. And he mentioned something else. And your guest has got rights over you. Because each should be given their rights. So the relevant part is he was the host. He was fasting. What did Salman say? I'm not going to eat. So here the Sheikh mentioned both the guest and the host should break their optional fast if either of them feel grieved at the other's rejection. But the fast should be redeemed later. So there's a bit of fikir. This is the Hanifi ruling. The Hanifi ruling is if you break an optional fast, it is wajib for you to keep that fast. Now what's important here is your intention changes. So if you're doing a nafal fast or a sunnah fast, so let's say you're fasting on the day of Arafat, and for some reason or the other, somebody's invited you. Right? And then you think, right, okay, anything will break the fast. Break it. Now when you make up the fast, it's wajib. If you make the intention of sunnah, you haven't fulfilled it. Why do the Hanafi say it is wajib? Why does a nafal or a sunnah fast become wajib? Because first in the Quran, in Surah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Surah 47 verse 33, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, وَلَا أَمَالَكُمْ Do not nullify your deeds. And do not nullify your deeds. It's a command. So why are you nullifying your deeds? When Allah the last time you not to nullify your deeds. Similarly, the Hanafis mentioned our beloved Messenger when he was prevented from performing the Umrah by the unbelievers, he made it up immediately the next year, recorded in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim. So note, he didn't waste. He went straight again to do the Umrah. Why did he not? You know, delay because it's an obligation. If something is nullified, you need to do it. The Shafis and the Hanbalis, Rahimahumullah, they've got their proofs. I'll mention one. The Prophet وسلم, he was once invited and a companion said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm fasting. And the Prophet وسلم, said, your brother has gone out of his way. He goes, break your fast and keep it later if you wish. So the Shafis and Hanbalis use that as a proof. They say, look, it's an option. The Prophet didn't say you must keep the fast. And they said that the Prophet himself said that your brother might get grieved over this. So the scholars have differed here. But this is a Hanafi Sheikh and he said, it is wajib to make it up. Then what he said, if no one is likely to mind, the fast should not be broken. So this is important. Some people think, no, it's better to break the fast. If nobody is likely to mind, don't break the fast. Now, what's strange about this? Well, what am I doing here? Then I've been invited. Roast chicken, biryani, right? And then you're telling me not to break my fast. And the response is, there's a reason that you're there. What's the reason? The sheikh says, one who fasts and is a visitor must supplicate for the host and his family. Mm. Why? Because his du'as get answered. Mm. So he's not just doing a redundant deed. that people say, well, what's the point of me going? It's just like, 
It's embarrassing. I'm going to get embarrassed. He's going to get embarrassed. <laughs> no, he's not. If he's got knowledge. So you get invited and, he, and then he goes, brother, look, please don't get offended. I'm fasting. Then if he's got any knowledge, what, what will he say to you? He goes, please, can you make a dua for myself and my family? Or even better, offer a prayer. And this is what the Prophet did. Look at the report. What happened? He went to the corner of the dwelling. He offered a two-rakat prayer and we prayed with him. The family said, he thereupon supplicated for Umm Salim and invoked good on her and her family. So a lot of people, they don't break the fast, which is fine, but they don't make dua. In fact, they grumble. They go, oh, did he divide me when he knew, when he should have known I'm fasting, right? Is that sunnah? Right? And look at that again, look how interesting. When it comes to interaction with others, we need to learn our deen. We're like spiritual children. In fact, some people say, well, no, I can't come with the, I'm fasting. Which sunnah is that? Right? You show me where the Prophet said that, I can't come, I'm fasting. That's your, that's your shiriyat. So note, why? Because you've deprived the family of some blessings. You know, subhanAllah. So all I mentioned today was another glimpse into how much love the Prophet had for the August family and dwelling of Sayyidina Anas radiallahu. And note the reports are unending as if he was truly a part of their, their blessed family. Are there any Questions. <laughs>